Well, good morning, and thank you so much for being here, whether you are in the room with us today, whether you're watching online or listening on the radio. Uh, We're so excited to be able to celebrate Easter with you here at Living Hope Columbus. My name is Aaron. I have the opportunity, the privilege, and the honor of serving as the teaching pastor here at Living Hope Columbus. And again, uh, we're thankful that you've chosen to be with us or to tune in to us today. If you have a copy of the scriptures, I encourage you to open up to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24, we're going to be looking at verses 5 through 8. And if you uh, can stand with me in honor of reading God's word, we're going to start at verse 5, read down through verse 8. God's word says this, So the women were terrified, and they bowed to the ground. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? asked the men. He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, It is necessary that the Son of Man be betrayed into the hands of sinful men to be crucified and rise on the third day. In verse 8, And they remembered his words. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this day, Lord, this opportunity and privilege that we have to celebrate Easter. God, as the angel said, he is not here, but he is risen, and that's why we gather today. And so, Father, would you give us ears to hear from you this morning? God, would you give us uh, soft hearts, Lord, so we're not just hearing your word, but we're receiving your word. And God, we pray for willing and obedient hands and feet to live out and to walk out the truth that we encounter in the scriptures today. And it's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. We know in our Western culture, there's really two great Christian religious holidays that are celebrated by people each year, and it's Christmas in Easter. Now, for most people, you're probably wondering, Aaron, why are we talking about Christmas on Easter? I promise this will make sense here in a second. But for most people, Christmas tends to be the bigger and the greater season of the year. Now, if you know me, you know that Christmas is my holiday. Like, that's my time of year. You give me a box of Little Debbie Christmas tree cakes, a cup of hot cocoa, and a Christmas movie, and I'm set. You see, for most people, Christmas is the time of year where we gather with family, we gather with friends, we hang lights on our homes, we decorate a tree, we exchange gifts. Christmas, for most, tends to be a pretty big deal. Uh, Fun fact for you this April, in case you were wondering about me, um, I actually still do have some Christmas lights up on my house, and I'm not even ashamed of it, all right? For most people, Christmas seems to be the climax and the pinnacle of the entire year. But Easter, on the other hand, for most people, it seems Easter just serves as another long weekend. Easter serves as another chance to get away for a few days, maybe to hide some eggs for your children and eat another large meal with your family. And let's be honest, as followers of Jesus, I think, and I'm guilty of this too, that somehow we've gotten our thinking badly mixed up. In regards to these two holidays, I think we've gotten our thinking badly mixed up because think about this. If Easter had not happened, then Christmas would have no meaning, right? If the tomb of Jesus was not empty, then the manger really makes no difference, right? If Jesus did not rise from the dead, then his entire life on earth had no meaning. And if Easter is not true, And if Easter didn't happen, then the Christmas story would only be a story about an obscure baby born in a forgotten village over 2,000 years ago. You see, here's the truth today. Easter 
is what gives Christmas its meaning. So what's the point of all of that? I want to direct our hearts this morning back to this simple truth and really remind us of the importance of this, and it's this, that the resurrection of Jesus is the climax of the Christian faith. That today, Easter Sunday, is the most and should be the most important day in the life of a follower of Jesus, because without Easter, our faith is meaningless. Paul wrote it this way to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 15, in verse 14. He said these words, he said, and if Christ has not been raised, if the resurrection did not happen, Paul says, then our proclamation of the gospel is in vain, and so is your faith. You know, in every single part of the New Testament, the resurrection comes up over and over again. Why? Because everything hinges on the resurrection. When you read the sermons that are uh, scattered throughout the book of Acts, when the first Christians preached, they didn't mention Bethlehem. But over and over, what did they talk about? The empty tomb of Jesus. Why? Because I believe the early Christians never got over the fact that on Easter Sunday, when they went to the tomb, Jesus wasn't there. Death didn't hold a grip on humanity any longer, and you and I now have the opportunity to have our sins forgiven and to be a people of hope once again. That's the reminder today. That's why we celebrate Easter. Everything in the Christian faith rises and falls on the resurrection of Jesus. Now let's look at our passage in Luke 24. Here in Luke 24, starting in verse 1, we're entering this moment in history shortly after the resurrection. The shadow of Good Friday is still lingering across Jerusalem where Jesus was crucified as a criminal on a Roman cross. The disciples are still scattered. They're feeling hopeless. They're feeling lost, and they're feeling forgotten. This wasn't the way that they expected things to turn out. So what was next? The religious leaders, they're celebrating. They claimed the victory. This blasphemous rabbi named Jesus was finally out of the picture. But Sunday changes everything. There's three scenes in this Easter story that I want us to journey through today as we remind our hearts yet again on the importance of the resurrection of Jesus and the importance of Easter. Point number one is this. Write it down. It's the journey. The journey. Look at verse one of Luke 24. It says, on the first day of the week, that's Sunday, very early in the morning, they came to the tomb. This is this group of women. And they were bringing the spices that they had prepared said a moment ago, it's Sunday, early in the morning, likely before the sun has even risen. And this group of women are on this journey to the tomb of Jesus to embalm his body, continue the embalming process with traditional embalming spices. Who were they? Other gospels tell us it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and some other unnamed women. These ladies had followed Jesus for a while. Luke 24, 49 says they watched him die on the cross. Luke 24, 55 says they had seen Jesus' dead, lifeless body placed in that borrowed tomb. And now they return on Sunday. Friday he died, Saturday, the traditional Jewish Sabbath. Now they arrive back on Sunday, bringing the spices to continue the embalming process. Even that is significant because traditionally in Roman crucifixion, once you died, once the criminal was crucified, the body was either left on those crosses to be eaten by wild animals or it was thrown into a dump where it would decay. 
But John chapter 19, a different perspective of this same moment in history, says that a man named Joseph actually requested to bury the body of Jesus. You can read in John chapter 19 where they started the embalming process using 75 pounds of myrrh and also some fine linen to wrap the body of Jesus in accordance with Jewish custom. I read a short illustration years ago about this moment, just the perspective of Joseph offering up his tomb for Jesus to be buried in. And it says that after Joseph offered up the tomb that someone perhaps pulled him aside and they said, Joseph, man, that was such a beautiful, costly, elegant, handmade tomb. Why on earth would you give it up for someone else to be buried in? And it said that perhaps in that moment, Joseph smiled or smirked from ear to ear, and he said, why not? He's only going to need it for the weekend. You see, Luke reminds us, and John reminds us, that Jesus' lifeless body was placed in a tomb. A stone, a very large stone, was then rolled in front of that tomb, and it was sealed with a Roman seal. What did that mean? It means no one could get out, and no one could get in. And if anyone tried to get in, there would be consequences from the Romans. So now we're on Sunday. And these ladies are coming to finish the embalming process, the shadow of Friday still lingering. They arrive at the tomb and they find the unexpected. You see, it starts with their journey, but the next part is their arrival to the tomb. Their arrival to the tomb. Verse number two says, they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. You know, I read that verse and I feel like Luke is really underplaying what's happening in this moment. He's almost too matter-of-fact of what these women found when they arrived, arrived at the tomb. The stone was rolled away. Matthew talks about this same moment in history, and he gives us a little more detail as to what happened right before this moment. I, I want to read this to you, Matthew 28, verses 2 through 4. It says that there would have been a violent earthquake because an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and approached the tomb. And that angel rode back the stone, and he was sitting on it. And his appearance was like lightning, and his clothing was as white as snow. Verse 4, and the guards were so shaken by fear of him that they became like dead men. You see, Luke tells us in his gospel that the stone was simply rolled away from the tomb. Very matter of fact. Matthew, on the other hand, is like, man, this was awesome. Matthew says there was a violent earthquake, an angel descending from heaven. The angel walks up to the tomb, rolls the stone away. He doesn't just roll it away. He sits down on it. He says the angel's appearance was like lightning clothing that had been oxycleaned, obviously, because it was so white. The guards, who were the pinnacle of Roman strength, shaking in fear, passed out in front of the tomb like dead men. Y'all, this is a crazy, incredible moment in history taking place here. And when these women arrived to the tomb, they didn't find what they thought they'd think they'd find. They came with embalming spices because their expectation was to find Jesus' body in that tomb. But Jesus wasn't there. Verse 4 of Luke 24 says that while they were perplexed about this, you think, (laughs) it says suddenly two men stood by them in dazzling clothing. Can you imagine their confusion? We said just a moment ago that they had seen Jesus die. They were witnesses of the horror of crucifixion that had taken place. They knew what the Romans did to Jesus. They had watched Jesus' dead, lifeless body be placed in the tomb. They had seen the body being embalmed. They had watched the stone being rolled in front of it. They saw the Roman seal. They saw it all. But Jesus wasn't there. And in the midst of their confusion, I love this, the angels engaged them in conversation. Point number three is the hope that they were given. We see their journey, their arrival, and now their hope. 
Look at verse 5 of Luke 24. It says, so the women were terrified. They bowed to the ground. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? Asked the men or the angels. Again, Luke is very matter-of-fact in his writing here. What's the question the angels pose to these women? Why are you looking for the living among the dead? Why are you here, the angels ask? Living people don't hang out in tombs, and Jesus is alive. Then the angels make what I believe is arguably the greatest statement in the entire Bible. This is the statement on which everything in the Christian faith hinges upon. It's why we celebrate today. It's why we celebrate Easter. This is what makes Easter Easter. This is the pinnacle of everything in the Christian faith. Verse 6, Luke 24, Jesus is not here. Jesus has risen. He is not here. He has risen. That's why we're here today, isn't it? Because Jesus has risen because the tomb is empty. And y'all listen to me. Without the resurrection, This is all useless. Without the resurrection, this is all pointless. And without the resurrection, we are all hopeless. But when Jesus died on the cross, the sin debt that I owed a holy God and the sin debt that you owed a holy God was paid for completely. The sin that separated you and I from God for all eternity was dealt with on the cross of Jesus Christ. And through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, eternal life was secured for you and for me. You see, the Bible is abundantly clear in the book of Romans that sin makes us lifeless. We are spiritually dead people because of our sin. But because of the death and the resurrection of Jesus from the grave, we can be made alive again and live forever in a place called heaven with Jesus. What they say in verse 6? Jesus isn't here, but he is risen. As we continue to read this story, we see those ladies go after they've had this encounter They go and they find the disciples. They report everything that they have seen to them, but the disciples didn't believe them. Again, imagine, these guys had seen Jesus die. He was dead, and now they're claiming these unbelievable claims. So what do the disciples do? They come to see for themselves, and there's a significant detail in their arrival to the tomb that I don't want us to miss. Luke 24, verse 12. Jump down a few verses for me. It says that when Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb, and when he, he stooped to look in, so Peter, and he takes off sprinting towards the tomb. He's like, man, this is unbelievable. I have to see this for myself. He arrives at the tomb. Bible says in verse 12, he stoops down. He looks in the tomb. And I love this little line here. I don't want us to miss this. If you have a hard copy of the scriptures, I want you to circle this or underline it. It says, he saw only the linen cloths. He saw only the linen cloth, so he went away amazed at what happened. See, I think Peter saw something significant. You read this same moment in history in John 20, verse 6. So we see it, Luke's gospel, now John's gospel. It says, then following him, Simon Peter also came. Same moment in history. Look what it says. Look what happens. So he entered the tomb, and what did he see? Circle this or underline it in your Bible. He saw the linen cloths lying there. You know, it begs the question, if in Luke's gospel, we see them propose this detail of the linen cloth, and if John's gospel, we see the detail of the linen cloth, why would both of these gospel writers include this detail? Who cares? It's just linen cloth. It's just the grave clothes that the body of Jesus was wrapped in. Who cares that it was left behind at the resurrection? Why does it matter? 
I don't want us to miss this, but to make sure that we don't, I want to go all the way back to the book of Leviticus. The book of Leviticus is going to shed light on this significant detail for us. The book of Leviticus, we're in the Old Testament, thousands of years before Jesus walked on this earth in physical form, and God has set up this system to cover the sin debt that mankind owed to him. We talked about that just a moment ago. And through this system, a series of sacrifices were offered. Some of these sacrifices were animal, some were grain, some bloodshed, some burnt, each significant, each meant to cover the sin debt of humanity that we owed a holy God. But in particular, God instituted what was known as the Day of Atonement. This is where the high priest would go into what was known as the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle. This was the place where God dwelled among his people on earth. It was the presence of God among his people. And in this place was this large chest. And on that large chest was what was known as the mercy seat. And on that mercy seat, on the right-hand side and the left-hand side, there were two golden angels that had been crafted. And their, their wings would kind of come out and over top of the mercy seat. And once a year, Leviticus 16 tells us that the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies and he would offer a blood sacrifice of a spotless animal, take that blood and sprinkle it and pour it on top of the mercy seat. And in doing that, the sins of the entire nation of Israel would then be covered for one year. But don't miss this detail. When the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies to offer this atonement sacrifice on the Day of Atonement once a year, he would wear special consecrated linen garments for that occasion. And after he had completed the sacrifice and the sins of humanity had been covered for that year, the high priest would depart that Holy of Holies, but before doing so, he would take off those consecrated linen garments, he would purify himself with water, then he would put on new garments to go and continue to offer other sacrifices on behalf of Israel. So therefore, the linen garments which the high priest wore into that Holy of Holies to offer the blood sacrifice as an atonement for Israel were only to be worn when making the sacrifice, and when the sacrifice was complete, they were taken off and left there. What's the point? Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9 says this, that Jesus has appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come in the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not one made by hands, which we were looking at there in Leviticus, but Jesus entered the most holy place once for all time, not by the blood of goats and calves, but, here it is, by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. What's the point? I believe the point here is that Peter and John are including these details of the grave clothes because they're telling you and I a story. Just as the mercy seat there in the book of Leviticus had an angel on each end whose wings would cover over that place of sacrifice, we see where the body of Jesus was laid in that tomb had a very similar picture. Let me show you. John 20, verses 11 and 12. This is so cool. It says, But Mary stood outside the tomb crying. And as she was crying, she stooped to look into the tomb. And look at what she says. Y'all, you need to circle. You need to underline. You need to highlight. Whatever you got to do. to. Oh, this is so good. Look at this. It says, She saw two angels. Two angels in white sitting where Jesus' body had been laid. And look at where the angels were. You had where the body of Jesus was in that tomb. And then check this out. One angel was sitting at the head. 
One angel was sitting at the feet. What's the picture for us? What do Luke, what's Luke's gospel? What does John's gospel want us to see? That the tomb is a picture of the Holy of Holies. That the tomb where Jesus' body was laid is a picture of the mercy seat. Where at one point in time, an animal would be sacrificed and blood would be shed so that it could be cover the sins of Israel, the sins of humanity. But now, through the shed blood of Jesus... Our sin debt is removed completely. It's not just covered, it's removed. Hebrews 10.10 says this, by this will we have been sanctified. means we've been made right with God through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. And so the presence of those grave clothes in Luke 24 and John 20 is so fitting because just like the high priest would take off those consecrated clothes after making atonement for the entire nation of Israel, now Jesus serves as our high priest. And once his sacrifice was made on the cross, his body placed in that tomb, our sins were forgiven, God accepted Jesus as the perfect sacrifice, the atonement for our sin. What did Jesus do? He stood up, he defeated death, he took off the linen cloths that were covering his body, and he laid them there in that tomb as a symbol and a sign for us that no longer did our sins simply have to be covered, but our sins could be completely forgiven. The sacrifice for sin that Jesus made for your sake and for my sake was accepted by God the Father. Friends, let me remind us of this truth today. The tomb of Jesus is empty, but there's one thing that was still there, the grave clothes. And they serve as a reminder for you and for I, for me, that our sins can be forgiven because Jesus willingly and voluntarily went to a cross for you and for me. Have you ever given your life to Jesus before? The Bible says in the book of Romans chapter 10 that each one of us has to make that personal decision to confess Jesus as Lord and believe in our hearts that God really did raise him from the dead. When we confess Jesus as Lord, we're telling him, Jesus, I want you to be the master of my life. When we believe that God raised him from the dead, we have to first believe that Jesus died on a cross to pay a sin debt that I owed God and that you owed God. If you didn't know this, you're a sinner and I'm a sinner and our sin separates us from God. But Jesus died on that cross paying the sin debt that I owed and that you owed. He willingly gave up his life. He was placed in that borrowed tomb. And on the third day, Jesus rose again. Friends, I want to invite you today, wherever you are, whether you're in the room, whether you're listening online or on the radio, if you've never personally given your life to Jesus, why not this Easter? Why not April 17th, 2022? Wherever you are, pray a prayer, something like this. Lord, I know that I'm a sinner and my sin separates me from you. And because of that, I am completely and utterly hopeless. But I also know you voluntarily went to a cross for me to pay the sin debt that I owed to a holy God. And I thank you for that. Lord, thank you not only for dying for me, but thank you that on Easter, you came back to life, Lord. You defeated death. And because of that, you offer me eternal life in a place called heaven with you forever. Lord, would you grant me that free gift? I completely give you my life over to you and ask you to be Lord of my life, master and boss of everything that I am. And friends, on the authority of God's word, I'm here to tell you that if you meant a prayer like that, if you cried out to God with something similar to that, that your life has been forever changed, not just in the here and now, but in the forever. 
Because the Bible says that the spirit of Jesus will now take up residence inside of you, that your sins have been forgiven and heaven awaits you when you cross over into eternity. There's no greater decision you could ever make than to give your life to Jesus. If you've made that decision today, would you do me a favor? If you're here in the house, would you uh, let me know personally? You can fill out one of our communication cards. You can come up to me and talk to me. We wanna celebrate with you because there's no, again, there's no greater decision than following Jesus. But if you're watching online or you're listening on the radio, would you do me a favor, huge favor? Would you stop wherever you are right now, when your video turns off, uh, whenever you get to your destination in the car, and would you send me an email? My email is so simple. It's Aaron, A-A-R-O-N, at livinghopecolumbus.com. Let me say that one more time. Aaron, A-A-R-O-N, at livinghopecolumbus.com. Let me know of the decision that you made today because I want to celebrate with you. I want to walk with you. And we want to help get you connected to a church wherever you are so that other believers, other followers of Jesus can come alongside you as you begin this new journey with Jesus. Man, happy Easter. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Thank you so much for being with us in the room today. I love you all. Have a great day with your family. Let me pray for us. God, we love you. We thank you for the message of the cross. We thank you for the resurrection of Jesus. We know that everything that we are hinges on that very moment in history, and we are so thankful. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.